Amen. Yes, Father, we pray just as we have just sung, that we pray, Lord, that you would come down, that, Father, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would now come and you would illuminate your word into our hearts. Father, that you would speak truth, not for the sake of information, but for the sake of transformation, that, Lord, we would grow closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, more like him, Father, in our character and in our conduct. We thank you, Father, we've had this opportunity to give. We pray, Lord, that you would multiply this ties and these offerings, Father, for the sake of your kingdom. But now, Father, speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You've probably heard before the old joke about the two guys that are out camping. And as they're walking along in the woods, they encounter this huge bear. And the bear starts running after them. And the two guys take off. And they're running through the woods. And suddenly, the one guy stops. And he starts kicking off his hiking boots and he reaches into his backpack and he pulls out a pair of tennis shoes. And his friend stops and he says, what are you doing? Even with those running shoes on, you're not going to be able to outrun that bear. And the friend says, well, I I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) Old joke, right? But let me ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you had to run for your life? I mean, there was a time in my life, I remember, I literally had to run for my life to get away from something. Have you ever experienced anything like that yourself? I want us to look this morning at a guy in the Bible who had to run for his life. He wasn't trying to outrun a bear. He was trying to get away from a city that was about to be destroyed. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 to 26. Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 to 26. Just a reminder to everyone that we do have the baptisms tonight. I hope you're going to be here to support the people that are getting baptized. I had one of them come up to me this morning. They were very nervous. They said, Pastor Steve, the message of your title, Run for Your Life. Are you trying to tell me something? No, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it. Genesis 19, chapter, uh, verse 15 says this. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And when he hesitated, the man grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't run to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, there's a town near enough to run to. It is small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to them, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
I remember a time when I was just a kid. I was visiting a friend who had a farm. Now, I grew up in the city, a town, you know. So, so I didn't know what farm life was like. This guy had a cattle farm. And uh, he said, well, why don't we go out and play in the pasture? And I was like, well, aren't there cows out there? I mean, cows are very large animals. They're kind of scary animals. He goes, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. If we're out in the pasture, the cows will stay far away from us. They're afraid of us. Okay. So I went out and we were trying to play. We were digging some holes and playing some stuff. And, and, and I kept looking over my shoulder, wondering, where are those cows? I mean, where, where are they? But then I kind of forgot the cows after a while, and we were just playing until suddenly I heard this noise from behind me. And I turned around, and all the cows had come, and they were kind of in a semicircle right around us, only about 10 feet away. And when I turned around, it scared me to death. I remember screaming at the top of my little lungs and just running as fast as I possibly could. It was this great picture of me and my friend running across the pasture, screaming, and of course, we were making so much commotion, the cows started running too, because the cows didn't know what was going on. So everybody's running in a different direction, like a stampede. And and, and after that, I mean, we got over the fence. I literally jumped over the fence. And I'm, <gasps> my friend said, hey, let's go back and play. I said, no way. There's no way I am ever going back in a cow pasture ever again in my entire life. Because you know what? It's hard to have fun when you're constantly looking over your shoulder. It's hard to be doing something and you're constantly saying, where are they? Where are they? Where are those things? Life is like that. You know, you can't lead a full and vibrant Christian life if you're constantly looking over your shoulder for sin. If you're playing in an area you know you shouldn't be playing in. That's the message of this passage that we read today. Abraham and Lot had come back from Egypt. They were looking to settle. They now had so many sheep, they had so much stuff that, that, that they couldn't live together. Their, their herd was too great. It couldn't, the land couldn't support both of them. So, Lot says to his, so Abraham says to his, his nephew Lot, he says, where do you want to live? You go this way, I'll go this way. You go that way, I'll go this way. Just, just pick a place. And so Lot saw that there was this nice area this really nice green valley. And he thought, oh, that looks really good. Genesis 13.10 says, Lot looked up and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered like a garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Cana, while Lot lived among the cities of the plains and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot knew what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew that they were very wicked places and yet he chose to pitch his tents near Sodom. And what happens? Well, let me tell you, if you pitch your tents near Sodom, it's only a matter of time before you're in Sodom. Genesis 14:11 says the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food and they went away and they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. In just a few verses, a Lot went from living near Sodom to living in Sodom. It looked like a good choice at the time. 
The valley was well watered. The valley was green. Everything was perfect except for Sodom. And there's certain choices that we make in life. And today we're continuing our series on choices. There are certain choices that we make in life that look good on the outside. They look good from a distance. But the problem is they are too close to sin. They're too close. I've heard so many stories of people who made innocent choices in life and ended up with huge problems. Like the gambler who decides to go in a casino and he decides to just put a quarter into one of those slot machines. Oh, it's innocent enough. It's just a quarter. It's not going to hurt anybody. I'll just put that quarter in the slot machine and pull the thing. And Oh, yeah, that was, that was simple. I've seen that on TV and walks away and says, well, well, let me put in another quarter and, and, and let me put in one more and, and pretty soon it forms an addiction. Innocent enough and yet it was just too close to sin. The young person who just takes a glance at a magazine that they know they shouldn't look at. They look at something and they know they shouldn't be looking at it and it ends up developing into pornography in that person's life. It ends up becoming an addiction that they deal with. Simply because they took a glance at something they knew they shouldn't look at. I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. The moral of the story is simple. If you play with fire, you will be burned. If you mess with the cat, you will get scratched. If you play with sin, you will be hurt. That's reality. You cannot pitch your tents too close to Sodom. It's only a matter of time before you'll be in it. I once heard a Burmese Christian tell a story. In uh, Asia, they have these trees called banyan trees. They're these huge, huge trees. But the trees start off with just a tiny seed. And the seed is all fluffy. So when the wind comes, it kind of pulls the seed. And, and the seed can go for miles and miles and miles in the wind. Well, it seems there was once this little seed. And this little banyan seed was in the wind. And it was going, getting blown here and it was getting blown there and eventually that little banyan seed came and rested on the top of a palm tree and the palm tree said who are you what do you want and he said i'm simply a little banyan seed i'm tired of getting tossed to and fro by the wind may i rest in your branches oh the palm tree saw this tiny little insignificant seed and said sure stay as long as you want and so the little seed nestled in But the little seed didn't stay a little seed. You see, it started putting out roots. And those roots went deep into the heart of the palm tree. And pretty soon, it got larger and larger and larger. And the palm tree cried out. It said, who are you? What are you doing? You're killing me. Oh, I'm just a little banyan seed that rested in your branches. Get out, cried the palm tree. You're killing me. Oh, I, I, I can't leave now. The two of us have grown together. If I was to try to remove my roots from your bark, I would surely tear you apart. And no matter how the palm tree struggled to eject the seed, it became larger and larger, and the palm tree simply died and was soon covered by the banyan tree. And the moral of this story is a simple one. You can't let little seeds of sin rest in your branches. You can't just allow little things to come and and just become part of who you are. Because if you pitch your tents too close to Sodom, sooner or later, 
Sooner or later, you'll be living in it. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there an area of your life where you're living too close to Sodom? Is there an area of your life where you've pitched your tents too close to sin? Or maybe there's an area of your life where you're already living in it. The prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will come and speak to our hearts and illuminate to us areas that we need to change. If that's you this morning, if there's something in your life and you're saying, you know what, there's an area of my life that I need to change, I I just want to say three things to you from this passage. Number one, when God says run, you don't hesitate. If God says run, you don't hesitate. In this story, it says a lot and his family are there and the angels come and the angels say the city is about to be destroyed. You have to get out of here. But it says that Lot hesitated. We don't know what was going through Lot's head. Maybe he was thinking, okay, um, we got to move. So I got to call the movers and we got to book a moving date. And maybe, you know, let's start packing up the dishes. And maybe we won't take the couch with us, but maybe we'll take, you know, the bed. And, you know, and... and it, or maybe he was rationalizing it. Well, maybe, Lot, maybe Sodom and Gomorrah is a bad place, but maybe it isn't that bad. I mean, I'm sure there's other places that are just as bad. And, and we don't know what was going through his mind, but whatever it was, he hesitated. And it says immediately, immediately, the angel grabbed them by the hand and forced them out of the city, dragged them out of the city. You see, when God says move, God means now. He doesn't mean tomorrow. He doesn't mean a week from now. So often God tells us that there are things in our lives that need to change, but we overthink it. We start rationalizing the situation. Oh, it's not really that bad. Oh, there are other people doing the same thing. All this, all that. And we begin to rationalize and we hesitate. We don't move when God tells us to move. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph had been put in charge of Potiphar's house. And we know that Potiphar's wife had kind of taken a liking to Joseph. But Joseph had done something very smart. Joseph had drawn the line. Joseph had said, look, I am not going to do this. I'm not going to do this tomorrow. I'm not going to do this a week from now. I'm not going to do this a month from now. It's wrong. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against the, the, the house that I'm staying in is a sin against my own character. I will not do this. He drew the line. I have to say to you today that have you drawn the line when it comes to sin in your life? Have you drawn a clear line? Again, I want to talk to young people here. Young people especially who are dating. When you started dating the person that you're dating, did you draw a line with that person? And you say, this is as far as I'm going to go in a physical relationship with you. I mean, that's one of the things Naomi and I, our very first date, we went out, we we were sitting there and, and we said, you know what, I just want you to know that this is my line. My line is this, and I will not cross this line physically. And she said, you're right, that's my line too, not going to cross that line physically. And so then we knew. We didn't have to guess. We didn't have to wait and decide, well, we'll see, you know, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, what, what kind of decision we're going to make. No, the line was drawn, you don't go near the line. What happens when you get near the line? Genesis 39:11. One day Joseph went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Mistake number one. 
She caught him, Potiphar's wife, by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. That's Joseph's school of dealing with temptation. When temptation comes knocking, you run. You get out of the situation. Potiphar's wife grabbed him and he just left that cloak in her hand and he just ran out of the house as fast as he possibly could. Because when God says move, it means now. It means immediately. You have to deal with temptation. You have to deal with sin when it's still small. That's what James talks about. James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see what James says about sin, about temptation? He says it starts off small. Sin, when it is conceived. It starts off as an innocent little thought. Just like a baby, it starts off as a single cell. Tiny. You can't even see it with the naked eye. Insignificant. Nothing. Tiny little thing. Weak. But then that sin divides. Goes to two cells and four and eight. And pretty soon more and more and more and more. And the baby starts to grow. Right? And pretty soon the baby is birthed. It becomes, it goes from the mind to being a reality. And pretty soon that baby doesn't stay a little baby. Babies are so cute when they first come out. I mean, they're weak and they're helpless. But as that child grows, pretty soon that child gets stronger and stronger. I mean, look at some of the ladies in this church. You look at the kids that they had. I mean, that kid didn't start off that big, right? But pretty soon, that sun grows and grows and grows. And pretty soon, the sun is much bigger and much stronger than the mother that conceived him. And sin is like that. If you let sin go, it grows and it becomes larger and it becomes stronger and it gets to the place where you can't control it. If you allow it to grow, if you allow it unchecked in your life, pretty soon it will be more powerful than you. That's the way the devil works. If the devil can get your attention, he gets you. It starts early. It starts in the mind. You have to refocus your mind. You have to be ready. As soon as it comes knocking, you have to be ready to run, to get out of that situation, to get that thought out of your mind, to retune your thought on something else. The Bible does not tell us to resist temptation. You say, what? Yes, it does. No, the Bible doesn't say resist temptation. It says resist the tempter. You don't resist temptation, you run from temptation. You shift your thoughts, you change your gears, you replace the thought with something else. You fill your mind with something that's different than what is filling your mind. Heard a story of a of a guy who, who had been an alcoholic and he was really trying to get his life together, but there was still this really strong urge for him to drink. And he was walking down the street one day and there was the bar, the tavern that he always went into and got drunk with his friends. And as he got closer and closer and closer, he felt like there was a big magnet that was drawing him in, that was pulling him into this bar. And he didn't want to do that anymore. And so he looked across the road and there was a restaurant. And so he went running into the restaurant and ordered 
a liter of buttermilk and just drank it one, one shot. A liter of buttermilk. And then he came walking out of that restaurant. Oh, oh. And he looked across the road at that tavern and thought, oh, no way. <laughs> no way am I going in there. You see, he filled himself with something that made him not thirsty for what he was craving. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil came to him. And the devil said to Jesus, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Jesus didn't resist the temptation. Don't you think that Jesus was hungry? Do you think Jesus said, oh, no, no, it's okay, devil. I'm not hungry. I don't need bread right now. Of course he needed bread. Of course he was hungry. Jesus doesn't resist the temptation. He resists the tempter. And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He changed his focus. Instead of thinking about the thing that was tempting him, he thought about the one that was able to deliver him from temptation. And that's the way you deal with it. You do not diet by sitting there and thinking to yourself, don't eat the chocolate cake, don't eat the chocolate cake, don't eat the chocolate cake, because pretty soon you're going to be down eating the chocolate cake, right? Because what is it that you're fixated upon? You move towards what you're concentrated at. If you're saying, don't go over there, don't go over there, don't go, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about there. It's like the story I heard of a guy, a traveling salesman, and he would sell this magic potion. And if you took this powder and you mixed it with water, anything you put into the water would be transformed into gold. You put a rock in there, you put a cup in there, anything that went into this water when, the, when, the, when, the, when it was mixed with the powder would be turned into gold. But, the traveling salesman said, there's one thing that's very important. Now listen to me, you have to remember this, it's very important. While you're mixing the potion, you cannot think about red monkeys. Because if you do, it won't work. And so the person, you know, every time they're trying to mix the potion, they go, okay, don't think about red monkeys. Don't think about red monkeys. Oh, no! I did it! <laughs> of course. You, you can't tell someone, don't think about this, because then what are they thinking about? Exactly. You see, that's, that's the, the problem sometimes in the church, is that we try to deal with sin by telling people, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. What are they thinking about? This. Right? It's not, don't think about this, it's think about that. That's why when the Apostle Paul dealt with the churches that were going through trouble, he didn't start by saying, don't do this, don't do this. He said, think about God, think about His glory, think about where you're headed, think about all the, all the gifts and all the wonderful things that God has given to you. Fix your mind on that. And if you fix your mind on that, you're not going to worry about that. It's not going to be an issue. The way you deal with temptation, you draw the line and then you deal with it early. You get out of it quick. You run. What does running from temptation mean? Sometimes it means that you just got to get up and go. If you're sitting there watching the television and there's a show on that you shouldn't be watching, you need to get up and you need to walk out of the room. If you're in a movie theater and there's a movie on that is putting negative stuff in your head, you need to get up and you need to get out of that movie theater. If you're 
at work and a bunch of guys are standing around telling jokes that you shouldn't be listening to and you're able to, you need to get up from that table and you need to go somewhere else. If you're at a party and something is happening at that party and you know that stuff shouldn't be happening at that party, you need to get in your car and go home. You need to get out of that situation. If there's an area of town you shouldn't be near, you shouldn't be near there. If there's an area of temptation in your life, avoid it. Drive away from it. Get out of that situation. When God says run, you run. You don't hesitate, number one. But number two, you don't hesitate, but then number two, you don't argue. Don't argue. In the story... Lot and his family get dragged out of the city. Now they're outside of the city. Put yourself in this situation. The, the angel has just pulled you out of the city. And now the angel said, Okay, run to the mountain. See the mountain right there? There's the mountain. Run to the mountain. Go there. Quickly. And Lot begins to argue with the angel. Lot says, Oh no, I can't run to the mountain. If I run to the mountain, I'm going to die. If I run to the mountain halfway there, the disaster is going to come and, 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 and I'm going to die. And I mean, what's Lot saying here? What Lot is saying is that he knows better than God where the safe place is. So Lot argues with the angel. He says, let me go to Zor. There's this little town over here called Zor. It's a nice little town. Well, let, me, let me go to Zor. And so the angel says, okay, okay. You want to go to Zor? You, you go ahead. You run to Zor. You know what Zor means in Hebrew? It means insignificant. Zor was insignificant. So many people in life trade God's perfect plan for insignificance. God says, go here. I know what's best for you. I know what will bring you peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment in life. Just do this. And they say, oh, no, no, God. I know better than you what will make me happy. I know better than you what will make me satisfied. And so they trade God's perfect plan for insignificance in their life. God says, get out of this bad situation. And so they run out of that bad situation into another bad situation. God says, get out of this habit. And so they jump out of that habit right into another habit that's maybe just as worse. They get out of the frying pan, but they jump into the fire. You know what the really sad part about that is? The really sad part about that is simply the fact that they end up going to soar the mountains anyways. In Genesis 19.20, Lot and his two daughters left Zor, and they settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. And he and his two daughters lived in a cave. God said, go here. Where did they wind up? That's where they wound up. Why didn't they just go there in the first place? Why did Lot have to lose his wife? Why did they have to go through all of the pain and all of the heartache and all of the suffering associated with making their own choice? Why didn't they just do what God told them to do in the first place? Good parents want their children to learn from their mistakes. Don't you as a parent want your children to learn from your mistakes? You as a parent have made some mistakes. Your parents told you something and you said, no, 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 I'm going to learn it my way, not your way. And you ended up being burned. And you now have decided that, man, I want to 
tell my children that so that they don't have to go through what I do. But do you like watching your children make the same mistakes that you did? You do not have to learn that fire will burn you by sticking your hand in an open flame. You don't have to learn that way. You don't have to learn not to take a metal thing and stick it in an electrical socket to find out you shouldn't do that, okay? You don't have to do that. You can just learn from someone else's mistake, all right? Watch Funniest Home Videos or something like that, you know? I shouldn't ride my bicycle off the roof of the house. I might get hurt, you know? Okay, I learned it. I don't have to try it now, right? Don't argue. God knows what's best. Simply trust him and go where he tells you to go. If God says get out, get out. If God says go there, go there. Don't hesitate. Don't argue. But number three, don't hesitate, don't argue, and don't look back. Don't look back. It's a very sad ending to this passage. Lot's wife looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. She's lost. Why? Does that seem harsh? She looks back and, and, and God punishes her. Some people look at the Bible that way. That's not what happened. The sin was not the look back. The sin was the hesitation. Was the fact that Lot's wife allowed the disaster to overtake her because she hesitated. It's very clear in the New Testament. It talks about this, this story. In Luke chapter 17, 28, it was the same as in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. <coughs> Three little words. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Second shortest verse in the Bible, next to Jesus wept. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. If you're up on the roof and you see disaster coming, don't go down into the house and pack. If you're in the house and you see a tornado in the distance, don't go down and make yourself lunch. Get in the storm cellar. Get to the place of safety. If you're out in the field and you see disaster coming, you don't run back to the house and get a bag and get yourself something to eat. You run in the opposite direction. You head for the place of safety. Likewise, Jesus says, in life there's going to be a lot of people who are unprepared for when Jesus comes again. They're going to be messing around with stuff they shouldn't be messing around with. They're going to be involved in stuff they shouldn't be involved with. And when Jesus appears, they will not have the time to get their life in order. They will be overcome by the disaster because they hesitated. They knew they should have changed their life and they didn't. They knew they should have run, but they didn't run. They hesitated. And because of that, they are destroyed. Jesus said in another story, in Luke 9, 61, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
You've heard that expression probably before. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then Jesus is not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. In other words, what have you put first before God in your life? This man said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but... Yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but first I need to go do this. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but I'm not going to change this relationship. Yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I'm not going to touch this area of sin in my life. It doesn't work that way. You can't put your hand to the plow and look back, or else what happens? (laughs) You go all over the field, right? Anyone who's ever tried that knows it. You can't ride a bicycle looking backwards. If you do, you know, you'll fly over the top of a Volkswagen. At least that's what happened to me. You know, you, you can't do it. You, you, you have to go and you have to be looking in the direction that you're going. You can't look back. The principle here is very simple. If there's a situation in your life that needs to change, you need to run. You don't hesitate. You don't argue. And you don't hold on to that thing and keep looking back. Oh, I wish I didn't. Oh, I wish I didn't have to leave that. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving that behind. Why do they speak Spanish in Mexico today? It was because in 1519, a Spanish guy by the name, by the name of Hernando Cortez set sail from Cuba with 10 ships and 500 Spanish soldiers. They landed, and almost immediately after they landed in Mexico, the, 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 original, the Aboriginal people started attacking them, shooting bows and arrows at them, attacking them in the night. They faced constant pressure from the native peoples. And yet Cortez would not budge. He would not leave. One by one, the soldiers kept dying, and still... He wouldn't go. And finally, the soldiers were thinking of mutiny. The soldiers looked at all these ships that were in the harbor. They said, let's just get back on the ship and let's go back to Cuba. Let's just get out of here. Let's go home. Our families are in Cuba. Our wives, our children, are, they're, they're in Cuba. It's safe in Cuba. Everything that we know, everything that's comfortable for us, everything that's a place of security, it's in Cuba. Let's just go back there and Cortez knew what the soldiers were thinking. And so what did he do? He went out and he set fire to the ships. And he gathered all the soldiers on the beach. And as the ships burned in the harbor, he pointed and he said, that was the only way home. That was the only way back to the lives you once knew. We are here and we are here from good, for good. You will either conquer this land or you will die trying. Those are the only options. See, Cortez didn't go to Mexico on vacation. Cortez didn't go to Mexico to do some sightseeing, spend a weekend and then go home. Cortez went there to conquer it. And likewise, as Christians, there is no going back. I pray that when you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, that you burn the ships behind you. You burn the ships to the old life that was behind you. That as you move forward with your new life in Jesus Christ, you're saying, there is no way back for me. And I don't care what people have gone through in this room. I don't care 
any sin that you've experienced in your life, if you've made mistakes in your past, hey, we've all made mistakes in the past. We've all done things that were dumb. We've all done things that we're not proud of, even after giving our lives to Jesus Christ. But the good news of the gospel is that there is redemption that we can be set free, that if we confess our sins that Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and, and redeem us from any unrighteousness, that we get a fresh start. God has given you today a fresh start. Today, he says, is a new day. If you confess those sins, I will remove them from you as the east is from the west. Isn't that a graphic picture? When do the east and the west meet? They never do. But you can't go back. There's no going back. Repentance means that you set your face in a new direction. That you turn from going this way and you start going this way. You've probably heard this before, but do you know how they catch monkeys in Africa? How do you catch a monkey in Africa? You take a pot and you put a rope on it. And the, 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 the pot has a hole that's just big enough for the monkey to put his arm in. And then you put a great big piece of food in there. And the monkey sees the food in the pot and he reaches in and he grabs hold of that food in the pot. But when he tries to get his hand out, what happens? I can't get my hand out. And then what do you do? You simply walk up and you grab the monkey. Because that monkey is so dumb, it will argue, a fight, and it will, you know, monkeys don't argue, well, some do, but, you know, it'll fight, and it'll yell, and it'll struggle, and it'll do everything but let go of the food. It's just not willing to let go of the food. It would rather be captured than let go of the food. Because monkeys are dumb. And I know some Believers that unfortunately are about as smart as a monkey. They're holding on to that area of sin in their life. They're holding on and they're holding on and they know it's destroying them. They know it's wrecking their marriage. They know it's wrecking their Christian witness. They know it's wrecking their relationship with Jesus Christ. They know what they're doing is wrong. They've pitched their tents near Sodom. They're now living in Sodom and they're not willing to leave. They're not willing to give it up. Don't be like a monkey. Don't be as dumb as a monkey. Let it go. Turn your back. Burn the ships. When God tells you to move, you move. You don't hesitate. You don't argue. You don't look back. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that it's a revealing word. And it's a challenging word. Father, I recognize today that all of us have areas in our lives, all of us have things that we would like to change. Areas where perhaps, even if we're not living in Sodom, we've pitched our tents too close to it. That we're messing with stuff we shouldn't be messing with. They could be thoughts, they could be actions. But Lord, you know that each one of us has things that are keeping us from leading that full, that victorious Christian life that you want for us. Father, I pray that we would let those things go today. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would convict us, Lord. That you would remind us again that you love us and that you want only what's best for us. 
that, Father, you have a place in the mountains that is set aside for us. A good place, a perfect place. That, Father, we can't settle for Zor. We can't settle for second best. We can't settle for living lives that, that are not what you have planned for us and what you want for us. And so, Father, I just pray today, through your Holy Spirit, right now you would speak to hearts, that you would speak to lives, that you would say, today is a day to change. Today is a day to change, to address that addiction, to deal with that problem. Father, through your Spirit, Lord, would you release these things now? And you would you start, Father, us on the first step in different directions, not looking back, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.